0: Well, good morning, church. Good morning. Awesome. My name is Dustin, and I get the privilege of serving as the pastor. And so... Uh, just from me to you, welcome. Um, I'm excited you're here and excited to um, get into God's Word. And so if you have your Bibles, um, we'll be in Acts chapter 2 again, and so we'll actually be there the next couple weeks. So if you have a marker, you can go ahead and set it down in there um, if you plan on being here the next couple of weeks. So we'll continue talking through Peter's sermon from last week, and then uh, we'll pick up there again next week as we finish it. And so... Um, yeah, I'm excited this morning. i tell you one thing that excites me is I feel like y'all are moving closer to me, which I don't know if that means that y'all are just more used to me or uh, used to being here or what, but um, fires me up. So anyways, Acts chapter two, and as you're flipping there, there's one thing I wanted to celebrate with you guys before we um, jump into that and unpack it is um, Jamie kind of alluded to it and mentioned it, but I wanted to just be a little more specific and talk about it. And so um, one of the things that we are passionate about is, is people making disciples rather than, uh, as I talked about last week, um, being a church that quote-unquote shoots up fireworks on a Sunday and you see this awesome thing. But just like fireworks, you have this awesome blast and a lot of people watch but the next day there's no residue left over. There's nothing that you can take from it. There's no concrete evidence that there were even a lot of people watching, right? And so we don't wanna be a type of church like that. We wanna be a church that when we come together and we gather around the word, um, we understand that this is something that's, overflowing into our lives Monday through Saturday, right? We don't want it to be something that's just shallow and great for Sunday and we leave and Sunday afternoon when we go watch the Super Bowl this afternoon, we just feel good about ourselves because we came to church. We want more than that for you and we believe that um, the Bible teaches us that and, and so we're passionate about that. And so part of that, one thing things I want to celebrate is um, we've basically been since uh, launch team started and since we've, we've been a church two big um, connect groups, two big small groups that meet on Wednesday nights. And so what we're doing now is, is both of them have gotten to um, one of them over 20 people and one of them pushing 20 people, so that's a lot of people to feed. And when you show up to group, there's not a lot of time for everybody to talk when you have 45 minutes or so. And so what we want to do is, is we want to raise up leaders and multiply those groups. And so um, this Wednesday, we're actually having a multiplication party for the two connect groups, because starting the next week, we're about to begin um, more groups. And so that was one thing I want to celebrate with you guys. And then also the next thing is, is that college is doing the same thing. And so uh, two Tuesdays ago, we actually had 41 college students in one home on a Tuesday night. And so as you can tell, um, things are just growing naturally, right? And it's not like we show up one week and there's four times as many as the week before, but it's it's healthy growth, right? It's growth that we can sustain. It's growth that we can raise up leaders to keep moving on. It's, it's growth that people are magnetizing to and able to sustain throughout the week rather than it, like I said, it just being a big Sunday thing and nothing following through during the week. And so um, I just wanted to celebrate that with you guys. Can we just celebrate that as a church? And um, yeah, I mean, that's That's God's faithfulness. You know, we're starting month two, and we're already having things like that happen. And so um, I'm super thankful to the Lord and glad that um, uh, we're able to do that. And so a lot of that is because you guys are, um, I hope, growing and taking your faith seriously outside of Sundays. And so, um, yeah, so I'm excited. So now let's jump into the Bible. Enough of that, and we'll get to what hopefully you came for. Hopefully you came for, um, for the Word. So here we go. So let me catch you up before we start reading quickly. So we started this series called Sent, and we're just walking verse by verse through the book of Acts, okay? So in Acts 1, um, Jesus comes and he ascends, and he says he's going to send the Holy Spirit. And then the Holy Spirit gets sent at the beginning of Acts chapter 2, and if you're familiar, that's what we call Pentecost. All that means is pent. uh, If you teach your kids what a Pentagon is, it's five. It was 50 days, hence the five after Jesus left, that Pentecost came and the Spirit came down on all the believers. And then they see these crazy things happen. People speak in tongues and um, fire comes down on them and all these crazy things. And then Peter stands up and says, we don't want you just to see crazy things and then leave not knowing who Christ is. Right? Because we talked about if, if you see the things of God, if you're around the things of God, but you don't put faith in Christ yourself and believe the gospel for your salvation, then it's really pointless in your life to be around the things of God if you personally haven't believed in Christ and been saved yourself. And so we talked through that. And then uh, th- that was last week, going through part of Peter's sermon as he's interpreting Pentecost. And now we're going to pick up for most of the rest of it, starting in verse 22 is where we'll begin. And so uh, this morning we will cover the most verses we have at once. And so it's only 14, which still is not a lot. Um, but we will be covering more. So what I'm going to do is, is I'm actually just going to read through verse 28, which is the end of um, the prophecy that Peter gets to. And then we'll stop there and we'll unpack the rest of it. So here we go. I'll read and then we'll pray. It says, Men of Israel, this is Peter talking to the, to the big group. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst as you yourselves know. So these people saw Jesus, they saw him do miracles, and he's saying you yourself saw them as he's talking to them. Verse 23, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, if you're an underliner, foreknowledge of God, we'll talk about that in just a minute, You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pains of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, so David, this is what David says about Jesus that they crucified. I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand, that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the path of life and you will make full of gladness within your presence. And so um, Peter says that and then quotes David. So let's pray and we'll start unpacking some of what is going on here. So Father, God, we love you. God, we're thankful for the cross. God, as we sing about Lord, um, God, we're here, and we're redeemed people, God, pursuing after you to become like you, God, solely because you paid the price for us on the cross that we couldn't pay, and so, Lord, we thank you for that. God, I pray that, God, all of us in here would be, um, God, changed by your word as we leave here. God, let this not be just a, a, a better way to live, or God, even, um, God, let this not be something that comes from you but doesn't pierce our heart like you. Hebrews says it will do to us. So Lord, let um, your word get in us. God, rearrange our affections, rearrange our priorities in life. And God, let your word change us. God, as you say, it will do. God, we love you. And we want all of this to be um, in your name and glorifying to you. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. So, um, to get you thinking about what's going on with the early church and what's going on with the book of Acts, um, I, w- I was thinking this week, and so, um, as, as some of you may know, a couple weeks ago, we had um, a, a newborn, a baby, um, a baby boy, and so, as natural, we're very thankful if you've been part of this, but people have been bringing us meals, it's been awesome, we've been eating good, um, I think I've gained some weight since the last two weeks, which um, is, is okay, but... Um, one, one day, my, my grandparents were bringing us dinner, and they, uh, we had let Dax go outside to play by, by himself. He's our almost three-year-old, and the newborn was inside, and we're doing uh, dishes or you know getting ready for somebody to come over, and he's outside playing. Well, it had just rained, and it was cold. It was one of the days where it was like a high of 40 degrees. And so um, they, they come in, and they're like, you might want to check and see what Dax is doing outside. And I had told him before he left, I said, whatever you do, go outside and play, do whatever you want, but don't get in the mud puddle. Okay, it's freezing cold, it's wet, it's nasty, I mean, it's just, it's just bad. And so, as you can imagine, the one thing I told him not to do, you know where this story's going, but I even said to him, buddy, what happens if you get in the mud puddle? I get a spanking daddy, you know, and it's like, yeah, I don't know if that's... That might have taken the air out of the room. We do spank sometimes, okay? We don't beat our kids, but every now and then, if they deserve it, we, we do that. And so, um, and so anyways, he gets out there. He comes back in, and, and we look out there, and he is sitting feet down about almost waist deep in the mud puddle, freezing cold. And so he comes in, and we're like, why did you want to get in the mud puddle? And he said, Daddy, my PJ mass toys were in there, and I had to be superhero and rescue them out. And I'm like, well, that's a, that's a good reason, I guess. You know what I mean? And so what had gone on in, this, in his two-year-old mind, if, if I could get in there and try to picture what was going on, the motivation of him to be superhero and save his PJ Masks toys That motivation was more and deeper than the motivation of him getting a spanking or getting in trouble. Y'all follow me with this? Even though daddy and mommy said don't do it, he had a deeper motivation that was causing him to want to do this, okay? Now I say that because we're about to get into a little bit of depth with what's going on with what Peter's about to tell us about Jesus, but I say that because what's going to push the church forward, the first believers in Christ? Let me just give you a picture of this. Right now, there's several hundred. And when Peter gets done preaching, there'll be several thousand. They're in the city of Jerusalem, which is about 140,000 people, which would be about a, a city and a half of Athens. And so they're this little tiny group of people. Everybody else worships other things. And so them having allegiance and worshiping Jesus is a big deal. They stand out like crazy. They're a lot different. They're weird. They're radicals. And so because of that, they need a deep motivation that ties them to Christ that will push through persecution, right? No matter what's coming, they're going to be bought into Christ. They're going to believe Christ. They're going to want to serve Christ no matter what happens in the world around them. And so I say that because that's what happened with Dax. Dax had enough motivation deep down For him to want to push through the, if you want to call spanking persecution, right? Whatever we were going to do to him, he was willing to do it because his motivation was tied deeper. And so that's the same thing we see with them. And so this is what I want to do. I want to give a quick preface because um, what we're about to get into is Peter is really focusing in on Christ, Okay, and so theologians would call this Christology, which is just the study of Christ. I, I, if you've been around me long, you can't stay. I can't stand when people use big words to sound smart, and then the, half the people don't understand them, so you tune me out and you quit listening. And so um, all that means is that Peter's about to make sure that what these people believe about Christ, they understand clearly, because he knows if they understand Christ clearly, and they're 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 tied to to Christ closely, then that will give them the motivation to push through whatever comes as a church. Okay? And so I say that because let me give one more preface before we jump into to my points is that as a church, I'm personally passionate about this because I think as the US goes on and life goes on, it's gonna be inevitable that we're gonna get into a more postmodern society. What does that mean? It means we're gonna get into a society that is thinks they're past or or smarter than there being a creator that created things and then sin entered the world and they sent Jesus to be the savior of that. That idea that we all believe in here as Christians is gonna gonna become less believed around us. And so we need to have a clear understanding of who Christ is and why we believe Christ, why we love Christ and who Christ is so that we can be tied to him when we leave here on Monday. So if somebody walks up and says, why do you believe Jesus is God? Or why do you believe in Jesus? there's some type of depth and motivation there for you to stand on even outside of church when it's not the normal thing. Think of it like this. I think two, two things really happen when you don't have, when you're not tied to Christ with, with roots that are deep, with motivation that are deep. Number one is this, is it produces superficial worship, right? If we don't know who Christ is, you come in here and even thinking about singing the songs, you're singing things that you don't really know, you don't really believe, and so there's a tie between you can't love what you don't know, right? If you don't know somebody, if I don't know my wife, I can't love my wife, and it's the same with Christ. And so we're coming in here to get maybe a good feeling or something, but there's, there's no depth to it. There's nothing tied to it. And then the second thing is, is it, is it causes us to love Jesus, but it, it causes us to love Jesus in a way that won't last, If we don't really know who Christ is or we don't have a foundation on Christ and believing what we should about Christ then any storm gets thrown at us, Jesus says, it's just gonna wipe us away. And like Paul says, we'll be tossed to and fro in, in the sea. And so we need to know who Christ is and, and believe clearly about what it is so that when, when things come, when things get hard, we can navigate through it. Y'all follow me on that? Let me give you a quick illustration just to help you understand this. When we moved back to Athens about six months ago, um, we, were, we were moving back and we were running into people we hadn't seen in a while. We had lived in Vidalia the past five or six years. And so um, I ran into one of my friend's mom's. And I see her at the grocery store, and, and we're talking, and we're going back and forth, and I'll save you the name because it's kind of interesting. But um, So we're, we're talking, and as we're talking, what she says is, is, she's like, I love your family so much. Y'all just had the cutest family. Y'all have an adopted kid and a kid, and she's just going on and on with the biggest smile on her face. She's just so happy to see me, and I'm like, man, this, I feel bad because you think about me a lot more than I think about you. You know what I mean? It's like, there's a disconnect here. You love my family, and I hadn't seen you, or maybe, if I'm completely honest as a pastor, thought about you if you didn't come across my Facebook timeline in five years. You know what I mean? And so, y'all are like that with people, so don't act like that's just me. Um, But she says that, and then she gets to the end of the conversation, and she says, and what are your kids' names again? And I'm sitting there thinking, you just profess this deep love for me, and you don't know hardly anything about me. Right? And so what that shows is, is that one of two things. She either had a previous love for me that she had for me when I was in high school when she knew me that didn't last. Y'all following me? Or her love for me that she just confessed was superficial. And so it's the same thing with our love for Christ. It will produce one or the other. If our love for Christ is not rooted and deep in who we believe Jesus is as being our God and the one who paid for our sacrifices and sins for our salvation, if we're not rooted in that idea, then one of two things happens. Our worship becomes superficial or our faith does not last and something comes and blows us away. Y'all follow me on that? That's all I got for the preface. So point number one, and we'll unpack some of this scripture the first point i want to talk about is this and i think we see in the scripture is that jesus is god okay let me let me unpack that because you're like okay that's weird you're about to get into some trinity stuff i'm not going to go too much into into the trinity but um, if you're a believer in here as in the trinity we believe that the father the son and the spirit are all God, right? They're one God existing in three persons, right? They're not things, they're not out there weird, but they're three persons that we believe in as believers. But what Peter's doing and what his sermon focuses on is the person of Jesus, okay? Because in our salvation, you know, we talked about last week how Jesus doesn't just do miracles so that we can see the miraculous. He did the miraculous to prove that he was God, but also he did it to prove that he was going to do something better for us than just heal us physically, he was going to provide a way to heal us spiritually. Y'all make sense of that? Is that everything he did was pointing and going to climax into something more. And so this is what it says in verse 22, the very first verse. I want to read it again. And you think about as you see Christ and how you see Christ from this verse. Verse 22 says, men of Israel, hear these words. He's, when, he, when he makes phrases like that, he's, making, he's basically saying, Listen to me. This is important. Kind of like when Jesus says sometimes, truly, truly, I say to you. Those are phrases that in the Greek, they're trying to get your attention. He says, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst as you yourselves know. Okay, think about this with me. He says that Jesus of Nazareth was attested to you by God. What he's saying is, is that Jesus and his miracles Jesus did miracles to show us that he was God, right? He didn't do miracles and that all of a sudden made him God. It wasn't like there was this person like you and I randomly walking around on earth and he started doing miracles and they're like, let's call him the Christ. Let's call him the Savior. No. Jesus's identity as he was born as God in the flesh meant that he was God already on earth, and then when it became time for him to reveal who he was, he then did miracles because of his identity in Christ. Y'all follow me on that? It's his identity as God that caused him to do miracles. It wasn't the miracles that made him God. Do y'all follow me on that? And so what we see from this is is that we have to understand that Jesus is God because that's what's going to cause everything else we do to, to revolve around. Think about it like this. I want to quickly flip back to the book of John because Jesus kind of teaches this to his disciples in another place. And so I want to read it here to show you guys, and then we'll talk about how this separates, how Jesus being God separates us as Christians from other things in the world. So John... Uh, chapter 14, verse four. It should be on the screen. You don't have to flip over and over in your Bible with me, but it says this. He's talking to to primarily Philip and Thomas, and he says this, and you know the way to where I'm going. They're saying, at the end of our life, where are we going to catch you up in context? They're they're having a conversation with him, and the disciples know that Jesus has told him he's about to leave, and he's gonna send another, which is the Spirit, and he's saying, well, where are you going? And they're having a, a dialogue, a conversation about that he says, Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can, we say, how can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. It's an exclusive claim about Jesus being Christ. There's not many ways that lead to the same thing. There's one way that leads to the only God, and Jesus makes that claim himself, and we're left to deal with it. Verse 7, he goes on, and he keeps explaining that he is God in the flesh. He says, if you had known me, you would have known my father also. He says, from now on, you do know him and have seen him. Let me pause there. What he's saying is, is that this God, they're primarily Jews, so they knew of God the father from the Old Testament. And he's saying, what's going on here is they're saying, Jesus is trying to explain to him I am God too. If you know the Father, you know me because we're the one in the same. I am God too. It's not He's God and I'm God, and now there's three. It's that we're the same in one, and Jesus is our God as believers. And then they finish up this conversation in the next couple of verses. Philip said to him, Philip uh, was a disciple that probably you and I can relate with. He was skeptical. He always asked questions. He seemed to challenge Jesus a lot. And he says this: Philip said to him, Lord. Show us the Father, and it is enough for us. He's like, if you're part of the Father, then show us to him. All the questions you have about the Trinity, and I know that you have about God, this is why I'm passionate about us searching the Scriptures yourself, because a lot of the questions we have are often answered somewhere in the Bible. He says, have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? He's like, I've done all these miracles in front of you, and you still don't believe they're, they're trying to figure this out. Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Verse 10, do you not believe that I am the Father and the Father is in me? Okay, boom, they're together. Now you see that the Father and the Son are intertwined. The, the Son and the Father are separate, but they're the same God. They have the same purpose. Everything they're doing is working together because Jesus is God in the flesh. They're together. He says, the words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. He says, if you don't want to believe me because of that, verse 11 is for the rest of us skeptical people. He says, believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or else, this is your other option, believe on the account of works themselves. He's saying, if you don't believe me because of what I say... Why do you think I can do all the miracles? You see, the point I was making before this was that Jesus' identity and him being God enabled him to do miracles. He didn't do miracles to make him God. He's saying... God, the Father, and I are one. I am God, and therefore, I can do miracles. That's why when Peter stands up and preaches in this verse, and he says, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did in your midst, he's saying, hey, I didn't do those miracles just so you could see them and be and, and and celebrate the miracles. I did them so that you would know I was God. I was the one that was prophesied in Isaiah 53, like Liam just talked about, that was gonna come, prove that I was God. I was gonna go to the cross, and because I'm God, I can then bear all the sins of the world to come onto me. I can be the sacrifice that all the other sacrifices pointed to, and because of that, that means because I'm God, I am enough to sacrifice for the world, right? Think about this. We talk about this often. You and I cannot sacrifice ourselves. It's not enough because the sacrifice we're making is blemished. We, we have things wrong with us. We're sinful. And so a sinful person can't make up for the sins they're committing because the sacrifice is not perfect and good, right? But Jesus was perfect and good. And the reason he was able to be perfect and good and be the sacrifice was because he is God. I know this is a lot, but think about it like this. I think this may help wrap it up with the, with the why Jesus did miracles and what was going on. Um, when I was in high school, a lot of times I would... <clears throat> I say a lot of times, about every month, um, I would go to the dentist. Now, if you look at my teeth, this would, be a, this would actually be a really good sermon in itself. But if you look at my teeth, they're pretty decent on the outside. I'm not going to cheese hard so y'all can see them. But they look decent on the outside, but on the inside, they're terrible. Okay? Um, I have cavities and root canals like crazy going on. And when I was in high school, it seemed like every other month I was having a root canal. This is how bad it was. It got to the point where I got good at eating with a numb mouth you know, like people get their mouth numbed and you eat and your it, cheek ends up raw because you don't know you're eating and you're eating your cheek. Anyways, that's kind of nasty. But. So what's happening is if I was going to the dentist, I went to the dentist. I didn't get on Facebook Marketplace and say, hey, who works on mouths? Who can fix my teeth? You know what I mean? I found somebody who was already identified as a dentist and then I went to them because they could perform the works that a dentist would perform, right? It, the same way, that's how Jesus is saying. He's saying, hey, my identity is that I'm already God, so I can do miracles. They didn't say, the disciples weren't rocking around saying, anybody can do miracles? I'm ready to believe No, he came claiming that he was God, and when they didn't believe him, he said, here's a miracle, now believe me, right? And the last thing that he did that proved he was God and that the Father would accept is that he resurrected from the dead. And if he resurrected from the dead, that means that we don't have a choice but to believe that he is God. Either he's crazy, as C.S. Lewis says, or either he's Lord, right? Lunatic or Lord, there, there's one or the other. We believe he's God because he claimed that he's the only way for us to get to heaven, or he's not, right? That's the, the two things we're left with as believers. Let me quickly say this. I think this is important, but this is what starts separating us as believers from, from other religions and other things, right? I know, the, I know y'all, the, the thing in life right now is we just have to be inclusive. And And we have to believe everything. Listen, as Christians, we have the Holy Spirit in us to love everybody no matter what. Right? We can love our enemies. Jesus taught us to do that. However, the gospel in itself is is very interesting because it's exclusive, but it's also inclusive. Right? It's exclusive in the sense that Jesus says, as we just read, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If that is true, then there is only one way, which narrows the path. But what Jesus taught is the most inclusive thing. It says, hey, it doesn't matter if you're black, brown, white, yellow, purple, it doesn't matter. We are all equally sinful, right? None of us can work our way to God. None of us can make enough money, give enough money, dress nice enough, act nice enough, serve people enough Monday through Saturday. It doesn't matter. None of us have it in us to work our way to God. All of us, it's not like some of us in here are like 40% sinful and some of us are 60% full of sin and some are 50 and some of y'all are terrible and you're 90. That's not how this works. What we're about to read in a minute in Romans 3 says that we're all equally sinful and we all don't need Christ like 99% and we can do the one. We all need Christ 100%, which what that does is, is make the gospel the most inclusive thing at the same time it's the most exclusive thing. Y'all follow me on that? And so this is super important because the message of Christ convicts all but offers a way of salvation for all. And he can do that right? because Jesus is God. And so this is how it separates. Let me quickly read this if you're interested in this. But Muslims in the Quran have Jesus in it. They say he was born a virgin and was a real person and was a messenger of God, even a prophet of God. But they believe that he wasn't ultimately God and Muhammad was the greatest prophet. Now, whether Muhammad is the greatest prophet or not, if you deny that Jesus is God, then no longer can Jesus be the only way to the Father, and that be our way of salvation. In Hinduism, Hindus believe that Jesus preached a great sermon on the mount, that three men visited him that we know as the Magi in the story of, of, of Matthew in chapter 2. They believe he was a real person that was born, probably somewhat like an avatar. They believe Jesus was murdered but they don't believe that Jesus resurrected and that his claims of being God were true. Jehovah Witnesses and Mormons both claim to almost be like a denomination of Christianity, but at the end of the day, they both deny the divinity and the idea that Jesus is fully God, and in him alone were provided salvation. And so I don't have time to go into all of them in depth, but this point is a big deal. And to be honest with you, I can't be shy about it because Peter is not shy about it. When Jesus claimed and what Jesus did, it leaves us all at a crossroads. It leaves us all with the idea that we repent and place faith in Christ or we don't. And that's the hard thing of what Jesus says is that we all get left at the crossroads of doing one of those two things. Go with that. All right, point number two, here we go. The second thing we see, and this is very important from this sermon as or from Peter's sermon as well, is that Jesus was not a random rescue plan. Okay? If you think about God with me, and I'm passionate about this because I think that how we think about God is a big deal, okay? If we when we think about God, if we think of of a God that just loves me no matter what I do, or loves everybody no matter what they do, or how when we think of God, what we think of him really really dictates everything else in life. You know what I mean? Why am I here? What's my purpose here? Am I just merely an accident of cells booming together, even though nobody knows where those cells came from? Am I just an accident? Am I here for a purpose? Is there a creator? Is there not, right? All these things go through our mind, but what we have to realize is that Jesus coming wasn't a random rescue plan. I want to read verse 23 with you so that we can understand that this is what Peter's saying. I didn't just make these ideas up and get passionate about them. I read it and studied this week and (laughs) got passionate about them. So here we go, verse 23. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Flip over later in Peter's sermon in verse 30. It starts by saying this. Being therefore a prophet... And knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him, listen, that he would set one of his descendants on the throne. He's saying that God had told David and told David that somebody was coming that was going to be a savior and they were going to sit on the throne and they were going to be the one to provide salvation. This was not a random thing that he did. Verse 31, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ that he was not abandoned to Hades nor did his flesh see corruption. All of our flesh, right, and David's flesh, they are seeing corruption right now because they don't have resurrected bodies yet. But they said that didn't happen with Jesus. Jesus' body is not seeing corruption. He's alive and sitting at the right hand of the Father. Verse 32, this is it. This Jesus, God raised up, and all of that we are all witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, And having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, that's a really good place to find the Trinity, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. And so he's testifying to these people, primarily because they're Jews and they know the Old Testament stories, but he's saying to them, hey, this is... This is God. This is him. This is what Isaiah 53 was talking about. When Genesis 3, the first prophecy we see of Jesus, when he says, "Um, they'll bruise your heel, but you'll crush his head, that's a prophecy of Jesus. And there's thousands through the Old Testament Peter's saying, this is what's manifesting and coming to fruition in front of your eyes is that Jesus was not a random rescue plan. Listen, I think this is just how we think about it. For a long time, and I think if we're all honest, we all probably thought this at some point, but... I want to just pick your brain and, and think a little deeper with me for just a minute. I used to think that God was up there, and you read the stories of Adam and Eve where they eat the fruit, and you know, and he's like, if you eat the fruit, you will surely die. That's what he tells them. Well, he doesn't kill them. There's God's grace. Big way right there. He could have wiped mankind out there. He says... Instead, he, he takes the skin of animals and clothes them because um, they, they feel so separated from God and they feel naked. And that was a big deal because they had been disconnected from the God they were created to love. And so sin enters the world anyways. And so what happens is, is all throughout, you see things like that happen with Noah. And he says mankind got so bad that he flooded the earth and saved Noah so that people could almost have like a restart. Okay. But the whole time Jesus has, or God's in the Old Testament's already prophesied about Jesus to come. And so people didn't just get so bad before Christ and they're just scratching their head like, man, God's up there like he's not God thinking, what am I going to do about this? These people are that bad? Oh, now it's time to send Jesus. You see what I'm saying? Like Jesus wasn't a reaction plan. Jesus was the plan from the beginning. And so what that should beg you to ask and what I want to unpack now, I know that this is deep. I told you guys that understanding this was going to be important, but what I want to unpack now is the idea of this. Well, what about the people that Peter's talking about that lived before Jesus came? I don't know about y'all, but if you think, next, you think the next step, it's like, well, well, then only people can get saved that came after Jesus. Y'all know what I mean? Anybody thought like that? Am I crazy? Am I off on a rant? No, okay. I plan on preaching this, but I'm not on a rant, but I want to make sure y'all are following me. What about the people before Jesus? How were they saved? Did they have an equal opportunity of just putting faith in Christ and being saved? And the answer to that is yes, and that's what Paul talks about in Romans chapter 3. So let me hit this, and then we will begin to wrap up in our last point. But this is a very important thing that we need to understand, okay? So Paul's writing, and we'll pick up in Romans 3, verse 21. I think they'll have it on the screens if they did. But he says this, starting in Romans 3, verse 21. It says, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although through the law and the prophets bear witness to it. Okay, I know that's confusing. I know I just read that, and y'all are ready to stop reading. Let me just catch you up. What he's saying is, is that before Jesus, you had the law and the prophets, okay? That's why I like when they say, don't cut your hair, y'all ladies can cut your hair, okay? Because that law has been fulfilled in Christ. That was before Jesus, okay? Now, we say that because he's saying the righteousness of God was revealed in the law, but now it's been revealed in Christ, and that's important because what he's going to say here in a minute is... Actually, the, the, the same God that did that is the same one now. And what he did is, is the people that were before Christ, they put faith in the promise of Christ to come, and we put faith in the promise of Christ that already came, okay? It's all manifesting in Jesus being God. It all comes to a climax at the cross. Verse 22, the righteousness of God, check this out, through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. So beforehand, it wasn't by the works of the law people were saved. It's not by the works of the law for us to be saved. We simply believe on what Christ has accomplished for us, and we're saved. Verse 23, the famous verse. If you know any Romans, this is probably the one you know. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's sad news, but here's the good news. Verse 24, and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ, Whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. Jesus' blood is what takes our sin. Verse 25, I'm trying to get there. Whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. 5.25b. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, okay, that's getting back to before Christ, in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins, So, the sins of Adam and the the, the sins of Abraham and all the Old Testament people before Christ, it wasn't that Jesus just said, We don't have to pay for those sins. They had their sins paid for by justified, by faith in Christ. God just passed over them as they believed in the promise to come, and now our sins have already been paid for. There's not a future thing we're looking to, but a thing we're looking back on that we're celebrating. Y'all follow me on this? And so God literally passed over their sins before Christ, and they believed in the promise to come. Verse 26. Why did he do that? It was to show his righteousness at the present time. Okay, check this out. This This is a big thing. God is righteous. That means that God's not going to mess up, right? If God could do it all again, he'd have to do it the same way because he's God. He can foreknow things, right? And so think about this with me. God would not be righteous if the people before Jesus had a different way to get saved. If it was like, hey, if you come before Jesus, you got to clean yourself up. You got to do things one, two, three, four, five, and then you get saved. But then after Christ, we get to say, oh, Jesus paid for our sins. Now we're saved. Y'all follow me on this? Those would be two different things, and God's immutable. He doesn't change. So the way that the Old Testament people were saved had to be the same way that the New Testament people were saved, and it was It was by both of them believing in the promise of Christ to save them from their sins. And so the people before Christ and the people after Christ culminate in Christ's work on the cross. Y'all make sense with that? Let me give you an illustration that may help you understand this. I, I thought long and hard about this one, so y'all can... If you're, the, if you're the person that when I put the Bible down and then I step away and tell you the illustration, you pay attention. This hopefully will, will help you. So think about this. Um, the other day, <clears throat> say the other day, probably about two or three weeks ago, um, Dax, my, my, my little boy, he, he's kind of a daredevil. He, he loves, if you couldn't tell from the, the water story anyways, he, he loves to ride things. And when he rides things, he rides them fast. The other day we were at um, my wife's grandparents' house, and they have a... It was designed for a wheelchair, and it goes straight down at an angle like that. And he's like, I want to ride down that ramp. And so we put him on it, and he goes crooked and nails the, uh, the, the, the handrail, et cetera. Anyway, so he, we get home the next day, and he wants to ride his little tractor, but now he wants to ride it down our driveway. Okay, well, our driveway, obviously, it slopes down, so it's a good place to ride, but it leads out to the road. So I tell him, think of me being not God is in I'm God, but the Father is in God in the Bible, okay? I tell him, hey, don't ride that while I'm not out here, okay? Because what can happen if I'm not out here? You will zoom down the driveway, you'll get carried away, wander out in the road, and then something bad can happen. So I break his heart and say, you can't do that when I'm not out here. And it really does. He's so sad. You have to wait on daddy. Daddy has to be here, etc. Now, I tell him that. And he gets sad because he hasn't, it hasn't been revealed to him why that's not a good idea. Y'all me on that? Like, he, he can't quite understand that. And so he trusts me that I'm a good God to believe me that one day when he grows up and Dax is, say, 15 years old, he's going to look back and be like, man, Dad, you were pretty smart. You were a good father. You were righteous. You didn't treat me one way when I was, when I was little and, and lead me into bad paths, and then now that I'm older and I can understand, then you do that, right? He, he understands it when he's 15 that it's not a good idea to ride down the driveway and do that. Now, if before he could understand, think of this as Old Testament, if before he could understand, he was riding that same tractor away from the road, and I was a lazy dad, and I said, nah, you can't do that when I'm not out here. And I just did it so I didn't have to go out there and play with him. What he would do is, is he would grow up when he was 15 and say, you told me I couldn't ride that tractor while you are out here because I'd go out on the road. And in reality, he would be going the opposite direction of the road. Y'all see what I'm saying? It's like the more he manifested in finding out who I was, he would then not trust me as a dad because I had lied to him or manipulated him or tricked him. Are y'all following me on this illustration at all? Okay, so it's important for us as we think about this As God being righteous beforehand, before Christ, and God being righteous after, it's the same way it is with us. And so we've got to get to a place where we can understand that. Another way to think about it, if you're a sports person, this is real quick, um, would be how a coach recruits somebody before they get there, right? If if they say, you're going to come here, you're going to start, it's going to be great, and they get this awesome recruit, and then they get there, and they don't live up to their promises then they're not a good coach, right? The beforehand they were, but afterhand the they weren't. It's the same way. The, if the coach is a good, righteous person, he's gonna tell truth before they get there, and he's gonna be the same person even after they get there, that recruit. Does that make sense? It's the same way. God was righteous and good before the cross, and he was righteous and good after it, all because we're all saved by faith in Christ and what he did for us on the cross. Amen? Amen. All right, we'll get to something not quite so deep. Last point, here we go last point, and this comes from the last verse in Peter's sermon that we'll get to. The last point is Jesus can't be your savior without being your Lord. And this is where this sermon gets really practical because what happens is, is I just went through two pretty big big things about who Jesus is, right? right? That Jesus is God and it's important. He's the only way. And that um, Jesus wasn't a random rescue plan. That He was how we were going to be saved from the beginning in Genesis to the end in Revelation. It all culminates in us singing praises to Christ for him saving all people. But here's, the, here's, here's where it gets hard. And this is the, the response, the natural response that Peter leaves them with. I want to read verses verse 36 with you at the end of this sermon. He says this. He says, let all of the house of Israel, therefore, know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Okay, let me, let me unpack these two words because they, there's, this is very important. He says he's made him both Lord and Christ. Christ literally means Savior. It means a more personal savior is what the Greek is getting to, is that um, it, it's very personal, meaning that, yes, Jesus died for my sins, and that's awesome, and I praise him. But what Peter's saying is, if that's true, then Jesus has to become Lord of your life. There, there can't be a disconnect there, right? We talk about this all the time. We don't... We, it should be an impossible thing for us to sing praises as Jesus of our Savior on Sunday and him not be our Lord on Monday, right? Because what's going to lead you to sing in praises is walking in his lordship in your life. And so those two things can't be disconnected in the person of Jesus. And so this is why it gets hard is because this is what we do and this is what happens all in culture is we, we do one of two things, either or I guess three. You either believe it, and I hope you do. Um, the second one is we reject it completely. Or the other option, and I think this is a dangerous option that we see the most, is we make Jesus who we want Jesus to be rather than who Jesus is revealed to us in the scriptures. Right? Now, this is not the fun stuff. As a pastor, I get to come up here and be like, let me challenge you on what you believe about Jesus. You know what I mean? This is, but this is what we have to get to. Think about this. If we don't really, if we get Jesus wrong, if we believe the wrong things about Jesus, we're not really believing in Jesus at all. We're just, we're just believing, right? We need to know who Christ is, and that's what Peter is so passionate about. I want you to think of it like this. We can't just make up our own, our own Christ, but think about this. Say somebody was writing a biography about you, and say that you have a financial degree and you work um, as, a, as a lender at a bank, and you are a really cool person, and you have just killed it in the lending business because you're great with people. You got the best people skills in the world, and people call you, and you sell, and you're just you're easy to get along with. People love you. You have two kids, a beautiful wife, and you don't have any pets at home because you're super neat. You're not dirty. You can't stand dog hair, okay? All this stuff. And this is who you are. I'm creating this person to you, okay? But say I'm writing a biography about you, and this is what I make up. Yeah, that person, they... He wanted to be an anesthesiologist and got into chemistry, and he couldn't make it, you know what I mean? And so then he dropped out, and he's not real good with people. You know, he's just not, he's kind of sour, and nobody wants to be around him, and so he can't find a wife, and um, he, he, he's really dirty. He has, like, dogs and cats in his house, and hair's everywhere, and everything that you describe about this person that we think is the same person are really two totally different people, right? You would be upset that they got your biography completely wrong. And you would be rightfully upset about that. But that's no different than what we're doing if we say this Jesus in the Bible that claims to be God that I owe my entire life to, I'm now not going to give him my life and submit to him because I don't want that authority thing. What I want to do is, is now I'm going to just make Jesus agree to everything I want to do. And it's like, build a bear God. You know what I mean? It's like, well, I like to do this. Jesus wouldn't really be mad at me for that. Y'all see how this goes? And so what happens is, is we're met with the crossroads of, hey, we're going to believe in this Jesus that has been revealed to us, that Peter's passionately preaching about and says, hey, if you're going to have him as Christ, you are going to have him as Lord too. And that's, y'all, where it gets hard. Because it's become completely normal in our society, in our culture, in our life for, for, for us to just do what we want to do, and then we either try to read the Bible and justify it, or we say, well, God loves me. He wouldn't really care. And that's not what Peter's teaching. That's not what Jesus taught. That's not what Paul taught. That's not what Moses wrote in the Pentateuch. All of this is saying, this is God. This is who he is. And honestly, what he really says in Revelation, and this is somewhat harsh, but he says, you're going to bow or you're going to bow. And one of the bowels is going to be a lot better when we bow and worship to him than the other bow when he shows us that he is Lord in the end. And so this is the application I want to make of this. And these are just two things I came up in. And these are things that I struggle with, right? These are things that, that, that I was thinking through for believers in here more so that what does it look like for Jesus to be Lord in our life? And what happens is, is we usually compartmentalize that. You know what I mean? It's like we, we say, God, you can have this area, but not this area. And so these are, these are two of just many things. I, I started a long list and I said, nope, it's going to be 12-12 when I get ready to finish up, so I'm going to cut them for all you people that are 12-15ers. So here we go. These are the two main things, okay? First one is this, is Jesus has the authority for us married people in here to tell us how we're going to treat our spouse. And that's not an easy thing, right? I don't don't get to create marriage myself and say, hey, I grew up with marriage like this. And so, babe, you get to do what I saw because that's right. You follow me on that? No, I have to be a godly husband in the sense that whatever the scriptures tell me to do as a husband, therefore, I'm going to do that as a husband. And if it says serve my wife like Christ served the church, guess what I get to do whether I like it or not? Because it's not my authority, it's Christ's authority, right? Right? It's the same thing. It goes through every. Listen, it, it, for, for men in here, I know that was a hard one. For, for women, Proverbs says a bickering wife is worse than something. And I don't remember what it is, but it's kind of funny, okay? But anyways, listen, if, if you're called to love your husband well, then we should love our husband well, right? Not our, I'm, I'm not loving a husband, but you should love your husband well, okay? But what happens is, is, is listen, I get it. You get into this authority thing, and us as men, all of us in here, this is across the board, just like sin. We're all prideful, and we all want to do it our way, how we want it, when we want it. And our wife says one thing, like, last night when I'm in bed, and Rachel's like, why don't you just get up with him? You know what doesn't go through my mind? Ephesians 5, serve your wife. I don't know about y'all, but that's not what what I'm thinking. But if Jesus is going to be our Lord, right, we're on this path of... He's our Savior. We get the cross, but then we're on this path of sanctification to where Jesus is going to become Lord of all of our life, and Jesus is in the process of making us all like Christ. And what's crazier is, is like we talked about a few weeks ago, when we start living like Christ, you know what happens? It becomes attractive to other people. That's why the church grew so fast and so much. Listen, I was reading an article this week, and I was going to quote part of it, and I didn't, but there's a professor at Yale that says, it's almost like the early church had a supernatural energy inside of them as fast as they grew. And you know what most people say? That was Pentecost. That was the spirit inside of them. No matter the persecution, people made fun of them. It was craziness. Within 300 years, boom. Boom. Rome makes Christianity their religion. You know why? Because people had Jesus as their Lord, just not their Savior. They didn't do what they wanted Monday through Saturday. They lived like Christ, and it became attractive to the world, and it eventually overflowed, and everybody was like, let's all be Christians because this Jesus they're serving, that, they're, that is their Lord, is awesome and worth serving. Amen? And so it all reconciles into Christ being our God once again. The second one is this. I meant to mention this. Let me not skip this. For us married people, it's for how we treat our spouse. I, I don't like to leave college students out because we have a pile of men here. For you college students, this means that Jesus has authority over how you date, right? This means that Jesus has authority over how you're gonna love or, or how you're gonna get to the point of marriage, right? You don't, we don't get to say, well, the hookup culture's normal and we're gonna do this and that, right? We don't, it, don't, don't get mad at me for saying that, right? This is what's in here. And if Jesus is your Savior, Jesus has to be your Lord in every area. We don't don't pick the few that are easy. You know what I mean? It's like we really find out if Jesus is our Lord in the hard things. Kind of like my coaches used to say, true character comes out when you're squeezed, when things get hard. Well, everybody will follow Jesus when it's easy. But it's the things that we don't want to give up to when we really understand if Jesus is our Lord or just our Savior. And then the second one was this, is how we spend our money. Right? This is a hard one. I get it. In America, it is pretty much built up. You need to make decisions for your career so you can set yourself and your kids up better, and that's your God. And Jesus is not cool with that. Listen, I'm all for you taking the next promotion and the raise at your job as long as it doesn't influence how you serve Christ. If you can make it, make it. You know what I mean? Like That's not a bad thing. If, if you can buy a, 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 a huge house and have stuff and, and serve Christ faithfully, then do that. But we all have to come to the place where we understand that really this money is not ours to begin with. Colossians says that if Jesus is our Lord, that Jesus was actually the one who created us. So therefore, nothing is ours. Did, did any of y'all like decide to get in your mother's womb? Because I didn't. You know what I mean? It, it was like... I'm here. And then I started consciously thinking about things. It's because there's something bigger out there is what Romans 1 says. And that thing that's bigger than us is God, the creator. And if God created us, then he doesn't have to give us anything else. We should just be okay with him being our Lord because of what he did for us on the cross. That last point goes back to what we talked about last week. We don't need Jesus in the American dream. We don't need Jesus in more money, Jesus in the next raise, Jesus in the next promotion. We have Jesus. And if Jesus, like John 4 says, satisfies us to the core and he, is the bread of life, then we don't need anything else because Jesus is God, right? And so Jesus, if he's our God, then becomes our Lord, and it starts shaping how we think and what we do in all parts of our life. We don't compartmentalize. We don't say, God, you get this, and God, you don't get this, amen? We have to come to a place that that deep stuff we were getting at, that Jesus is God. If he's God, we need to wrestle with that if we haven't. We need to understand that Jesus was not a random rescue plan, that when you dive deeper into who God is, the Christian God in the scriptures, a lot of your questions are answered. That's so why I get honestly frustrated when, you, when, when we get fed shallow things and you grow up and you're like, man, why didn't anybody ever tell me that? You know what I mean? Like, I want to give you guys depth so that there's some foundation to stand on so that when persecution comes and the world comes, we can be soldiers right through the middle of it because of one storm doesn't come and somebody says, well, how do you think we got here? Have you seen God? And you're like, I'm not a Christian anymore. You know what I mean? It's like we need depth. We need to understand all of these things. And and listen, I know that 40 hours a week, y'all aren't devoting yourself to studying the scriptures, but if you will give yourself 15 minutes a day for years to come, you will grow, you will know more, and hopefully you'll look back in about 10 years because that would be about 5, or no, about 4,000 days, and you'll say, man, 4,000 days of 15 minutes a day, I've made it a long ways and I can stand on my two feet, I can walk into the coffee shop and somebody strikes up a conversation with me because I'm wearing a shirt that has an awesome cliche uh, white girl saying on it and somebody asks me about my faith and I'm ready to share the gospel with them and lead them to Christ. But that doesn't happen if Jesus isn't our Lord and we don't start today taking steps in that direction. Amen? All right, let's pray and we'll be done. Father, we love you, God, and I thank you for what you're doing in here. Um, God, thank you for what you're doing in your heart. God, I, I pray now that, God, as we're sitting here, as Peter said, Lord, I pray that, God, if somebody's in here and, and Christ is not their Savior, Lord, I pray that they would put trust in him. God, not 90% with the 10% compartmentalized doubt, but, God, the, the 100% trust that says I'm fully surrendered to you, God, because without fully surrender, we're not surrendering at all. And so, Lord, I pray that we would do that. And secondly, I pray for believers in here. Lord, I pray that, God, whatever the is in our life that we, we seem to ignore, God, or, or even we get convicted in, and we've, we've been in that same spot the last five years, and it looks bad if we make a change, and somebody's going to say, well, you didn't do that. God, I pray we would have courage to get through that. God, I pray you would have courage to help us walk in holiness. God, I pray we wouldn't be ashamed, as Romans 1.16 says, when we say, why do we do what we do or live the way we live? God, we wouldn't be ashamed of the gospel of what you've done for us. God, help us be passionate, God, humble and loving people, God, that create an attractive Christ as we walk in the world as your followers, God, revealing you to the outside world. God, help us be holy and faithful to you. And God, we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. I love you guys so much. We'll continue Peter's sermon next week. See you later.